Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for our latest installment in our Global MedTech podcast. Today, we are joined by Gloria Siebert from Timetica and my fellow partner, Teresa Allen. And I'll let each of them do a quick intro for themselves. I'm Benita Kailasanath. I am a partner in the Silicon Valley office. I do a mix of life sciences and tech transactions work. A lot of work at the intersection of the two in what we lovingly call MedTech. I'm Teresa. I'm a partner in our German office, in one of our German offices in uh, Dusseldorf. And I'm actually, I would say, Vinita's counterpart in Europe. So what, what she said at the intersection of life sciences and tech, doing a lot of commercial contracts and strategic advice and loving to work with companies and people like Gloria. Gloria, go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, Gloria. I'm a founder and CEO of Temedica, a digital health slash real-world evidence company located in Munich in beautiful Germany. I personally have a business and law background and starting my own venture back in 2016. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us. You already alluded to the fact that you've had uh, multiple hats along your career. Can you tell us a little bit more about your career path, including your time as a consultant? Yeah, definitely. So I joined McKinsey after my studies in Germany and in Hong Kong. And McKinsey was a very interesting time. So I had the opportunity to learn a lot, to see a lot. And I think one advantage I had was that I never did any healthcare project during my time at McKinsey. So when I stumbled into healthcare already seven years ago, I did not know at all how complicated it could be. And I think that was the only reason why I somehow stumbled into that area, which from today's perspective is uh, pretty cool. Because it was a very, very great journey, or it is a very, very great journey. And um, it was also a very exciting time to learn on the job, to learn on the way, and also having this uh, entrepreneurial part in, in my life now. So after being with McKinsey for four years, I went to San Francisco to um, learn programming in a coding school, uh, which was also a very interesting aspect in, in my educational life. Because, you know, with a business and law background, you learn a lot about like uh, the economies and how the business world works. Uh, at McKinsey, you learn a lot of PowerPoint and Excel. So you're perfectly equipped <laughs> for being a, a consultant or, or a business person. But you don't really learn a lot practical context about what digitization really is and also the potential of digitization. And that was a great opportunity, really learning programming from the fundament by typing the code with my own fingers. I think I'm not patient enough to be a good programmer. So I ended up with not being the, the tech founder, but being the, the business founder. But it was nevertheless a great opportunity to learn and also definitely one of the reasons why I ended up with a company in digital and healthcare. That's so exciting. When you said it was a good thing that you didn't know how complicated it would be, if you had known it, do you think you would have taken the same path? I think that's a super difficult question. Honestly, I don't know. Probably I would have been more biased and I think we would not have I think we would not have had the opportunity to take the very unusual paths because 
probably from a rational point of view, I would have said, no, let's not go this path. It doesn't work. And it somehow worked. So I think it was very good to be naive there and just trying to see if the door is open. And when the door was not open, just go back and try another door. Is there anything sitting here today that you wish you'd known when you started? Well, you know, along the way, what I have learned, and I'm very, very thankful for this as a person, is resilience. And this is something which was really hard at the beginning because, you know, I went the typical pathway through university for a very guided consultant role and then ended up in a situation where some days we were more or less insolvent or we probably were already insolvent and we were forced to go to the place where you need to file for it and we didn't do it. So it was really a um, walking on the edge. And I think if I had more resilience back then, I think some stuff would have been a little bit easier. On the other side, I'm super thankful for I'm going the journey also personally because from a personal point of view and also when it comes to my character, how I see things, how I see challenges, I learned a lot and I took a lot from that journey and I'm still taking a lot from that journey. So personally, I'm very thankful also for the opportunity I'm having as being an entrepreneur. Thank you for sharing that. When you say being thankful for that and on that journey, what intrigues me is what what drives you so, so actually also the motivation behind it you said a bit about the journey McKinsey coding school and then how did you end up then actually founding a company where did that come from I was very very young when I started with McKinsey I was 20 and after four years at McKinsey I was 24 and I thought how would my life be when I'm just staying with McKinsey until I'm 70. So I'm seeing a lot, but it's always the same. And I looked back at my couple of years I had in that life, so 24 years, and I felt very fortunate about the circumstances and the situation. You know, I grew up in Germany in a super safe country. I had a privilege to attend the best universities. I'm healthy, I'm fit, I have enough energy. And I thought not everyone on this planet has the luck to be in such a comparable situation. And what I have seen in, in the Silicon Valley, especially when I learned programming, was the potential of digitization. Because, you know, digitization is the first time on this planet where you can make information accessible to everyone without the need to spend money for this. This is basically bringing people who are not so privileged into a different situation. And that was something where I said, no, I know at least the fundamentals of programming or the fundamentals of digitization. I want to use this opportunity and the skill set I have in order to give something back to, to the society because I'm, I'm just a lucky girl, you know. I, I could have also been on, on the other side of that coin. So it was just pure luck. And that was something I wanted to use and, and give, give it back. And that was the initial reason why I came up with the vision to bring more individualization into healthcare. Because when you think about if the three of us had multiple sclerosis, plus someone who's living in 40 degrees hot Africa, and let's say someone else in Siberia, and all of us had multiple sclerosis, 
we would all probably be treated with the same medication. And this is just wrong. And by having my personal experience with this wrong idea I had in my mind, plus the fact that it's I just need to spend 100 bucks to have a individualized Nike shoe for my foot, I thought I really want to use the privilege I have in order to change this. And this was basically also how the vision around Timedica came up. We want to make healthcare more personalized. And the biggest driver was, yeah, changing something where I personally believe that the situation right now is not right. I love the way you articulated that. There are so many threads to pull based on, based on your comments. It's been very interesting to me as we've been doing this series to hear this theme of health equity and how it ties to personalization, right? And then I think underlying all of that is data and the quality of data that can be generated and at what cost and what are the implications of the data once it is collected? How can it be used in the way that, you know, the person whose data it is really is, is comfortable and then how can you, on the flip side, also pool this sort of data to make these broader generalizations in order to steer this very unwieldy healthcare system in a way that generates better outcomes? And so much comes down to the quality of the data, too. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear about kind of how do you think about kind of increasing the quality of the data? How do you decide which data is worth collecting um, because there's so many different kind of tentacles that can come out of this. Yeah, definitely. So for the ones who are listening, I think to give you a little bit more background on the difference between the US and Europe here, it's very, very important to understand that the accessibility of data in Europe is totally different from the situation in the US. So what you have just mentioned is totally right, and it's definitely something we also consider along the way. But the first thing what we as a German company need to consider is how can we get access to the data? And this is a very, very huge European problem. It also goes in line with the, with the GDPR and the data security laws which also have very, very good aspects from an ethical point of view. But nevertheless, it makes the situation way more tricky than you probably have it in the U.S., where you just need to make sure that you process the data in the right way and you interpret the data in the right way. So first of all, what we're doing at Timedica is we are identifying which data are at some stage accessible out there and we also need to make sure that these data are adding a particular value to the data platform we have. So this step is mandatory, otherwise we can't move on. The second step is data security. So in Europe, you need to make sure that you have an active opt-in from the particular patient that you can process the data. And this is something which I personally find super interesting because the discussion around data security and the willingness to share data, in, especially in Germany, is wild. And everyone says, well, people do not have the willingness to share data. They want to keep their own data and so on. And this is not right. People do not want to share data when they don't know what happens with the data. And what we do at Timedica is we build smartphone apps for patients. Let's say, for example, multiple sclerosis patients. And when they download the app, we ask them, do you want to share your data in an anonymized way in order to support research and in order to have the opportunity to combine your own data with a massive 
big data set of other people's data. And we have a opt-in rate of more than 70%, which is mind-blowing in Europe because this is nothing what Europeans have usually experienced. And the only reason, the reason is not because we are the best ones or the smartest ones or whatever. The only reason is we are 150% transparent on what we are doing with the data, why we are doing this and how we are doing this. And this is also a very important aspect speaking as a German or a European company, which probably not comes up a lot in the US space, but which is very, very important by looking at our business model. And then, and now we are coming to the topics you have just mentioned. The third step is basically considering which data are the data we have access to or we have identified. How do we need to clean the data? How can we aggregate the data? And here we are not coming from the technical point of view, but we are more coming from the questions we want to answer. So, for example, we want to answer how does the care reality look like amongst female MS patients who are living in cold versus hot areas? And how can we help them in by, for example, different dosages they get? Or how can we help them by giving them different alerts when it comes to how they are designing their leisure time. So these are all aspects we ask ourselves first before we make the data analysis, because we don't do data analysis for the sake of making data analysis, but we do data analysis for the sake of answering very particular questions. And these answers are then either being used for research, we make a lot of medical publications, but also we give access to pharma companies, medtech companies, to HCPs, hospitals, and all of the other stakeholders in the healthcare system. What, what I would be interested in is, what do you perceive to be the biggest barrier in a way? You already mentioned access to data from a legal perspective in a way, but I was also wondering, the way I see it is that, especially in the healthcare space, when it comes to patient documentation, we're not that far along when it comes to digitization of that. There's still quite a lot going on on paper. And how do we get that data actually from paper into apps like Timelika's app? How does that work and how do you perceive that? Do you think we're on the right track there? Do we think we need to really speed up? I think that's a very, very holistic question. So also here we need to differentiate in which country we are and also about which data type we talk we definitely have data silos. We also have, especially in Europe, massive challenges in order to access data which are not dangerous at all. And what do I mean with dangerous? Even if we made them accessible for everyone, they, nobody could do something with the data because it's, for example, the information in the city center of Munich 24 packages of ibuprofen has been sold. So this is nothing you can, you, can, you can do something with. But by combining these data with other data sources, you can combine the puzzle pieces and basically build a very realistic picture of the care reality. One challenge we have is we don't really have standards when it comes to how the data is being gathered and processed. So when you go to a hospital, let's say, let's stay in Germany. I go to a hospital in Munich and I go to a hospital in Hamburg, which are two big cities in Germany. They both probably process their data differently. So it would 
be already a challenge to basically draw exactly the same picture when I'm visiting two different hospitals. Now let me visit a hospital in London. That's even more complex. And now let me visit another hospital in the US. And then you have a total mess up. And I think this is something what definitely needs to be regulated because the interesting but also challenging thing in healthcare is that it's one of the very few industries where you have various different stakeholders with various different incentives. And the more stakeholders you have in an economical system, the more it is required to have here and there regulators who are making laws which are basically giving you guiding principles which would not exist if you don't have a regulator because nobody is profiting from this law immediately. And when you have a totally, let's say, independent, free market setting, you probably would never end up with standards because nobody has an advantage of having a standard. And the one stakeholder who would come in and having an advantage of a standard probably is not big enough to overrule all of the others in order to invent a standard. So here it is much needed to bring in regulation whenever it's necessary, but to minimize the amount of uh, regulation to an amount which is not over-regulating. And I think this is something which is yeah, probably one of the biggest challenges a regulator can face. There are just so many you know, inherent tensions too, right? Because there are different flavors of regulators who are looking at different aspects of the ecosystem. So you'll have you know, some of the regulators who are focused on the data protection, kind of consumer protection side of things. You'll maybe have some regulators who are looking at it from the antitrust perspective who are saying, oh, we want these systems to be very interoperable so that you have the ability to you know, port your data from system A to system B. And then you have folks who are looking at things from the IP, intellectual property policy perspective, who are saying, well, how do we set up a stable base for innovation and how companies can, you know, to a certain degree, protect their innovation? And then, you know, on the kind of countervailing side from a, an FDA or EMEA or other life sciences regulatory perspective saying, hey, we really want transparency. Like, how are these algorithms working? How are these decisions being made? If you want to have less scrutiny from a regulatory perspective, you need to show us how these things are actually operating. And that can be directly counter to a kind of trade secret oriented IP policy. So it's just such a fascinating area where even kind of unpacking this notion of regulation and, and what are the ground rules can be so thorny. Definitely. And I think one thing which we must not forget is digitization has tremendously increased the velocity. 100 years ago, it was somehow realistic to be somehow up to speed when it comes to you have a innovation and the regulator comes afterward who is regulating it. With the increasing velocity, the gap between the innovation and what the regulator can regulate is continuously growing. And I think this is something which brings in a lot of risk, particularly in healthcare, because at the end in healthcare, we are talking about our health and our life. 
And this is basically one of the most important assets we have. And we also need to make sure that we have a regulator who is basically somehow making sure that things are going into the right way. And how to address this gap, I'm not an expert in regulation, but from, from my pretty naive perspective, probably one of the biggest challenges to keep up with the speed, but on the other side, make sure that you have a sophisticated and sound approach of inventing a regulation. It's such a profound way of putting it. I know that we could spend the rest of the day chatting with you, but I think our time is coming to a close. So I just wanted to, uh, of course, thank you, but also see if you wanted to share any closing thoughts on med tech, any kind of you know digital health innovations that you're tracking moving forward. Any final thoughts? Yeah, thank you very much. So my thoughts, uh, and I think these are the, the thoughts which are accompanying me along my entire healthcare journey. I think when it comes to healthcare, we are really at the beginning. And I think it's such an exciting journey we're about to start now because things are now moving into the system. We have seen a really impressive things during COVID and also how fast things can change if they need. Especially in healthcare, we've also seen the potential of for example, collecting data and aggregating data in a more digital way. So I think there is a lot exciting stuff in front of us. And I'm very thankful for being an active part on this journey. And I'm really looking forward to the next couple of years in my entrepreneurial role. Thank you so much, Gloria. That was truly inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, th thank you, thank you so much. Well, thanks to our audience as well for listening and stay tuned for the next installment of our MedTech podcast.